Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, where we invite you to invest in your well-being and unlock the secrets of vibrant health, peak performance, and wellness. Join us, Sebastian Mirau and Johannes Kettelhout, co-founders of Australia and New Zealand's leading wellness company, as we dive deep into the science, strategies, and stories that empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. Whether you are a CEO, high achiever, entrepreneur, elite athlete, health enthusiast, scientist, or self-improvement seeker, together we will explore the cutting edge of biohacking techniques and holistic health practices with world-class experts that optimize your mind, body, and spirit. With each episode, you will walk away with practical and actionable steps to integrate in your daily life. Are you ready? Let's elevate your well-being. Welcome, everyone. In today's show, I got Seem Lan from beautiful Estonia with me. Seem is a very well-known, internationally speaking, biohacker. I think um, I'm fair to say that you're a bit of a health nut as well, Tim, um, with lots of different interests. You've recently spoken at the Finnish Biohackers Conference. There was a plan for you to also speak in London that didn't work out. You've written a number of books on various different topics from hydration, the mineral fix, the salt fix, and your name is definitely very well known in the world. Um, and today we're going to talk about homesis. So without further ado, I'd love for you, for you to introduce yourself, Tim, who you are, what you do, <laughs> what you're passionate about, and you know, let us know. Yeah, yeah glad to be here. And uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, I'm mostly an author and a speaker and content creator. I uh, do cover many topics like from fitness to longevity to uh, sleep and uh, everything else included. So yeah, I do have like a very broad <laughs> I don't know, knowledge base or uh, content base. And yeah, nowadays I'm yeah, just creating content, mostly writing books and yeah, trying to you know, apply the things that I learn for myself as well and kind of walk the, the talk and uh, also like share my experiences and information with, uh, with the rest of the world. Absolutely. And I think everyone that, that has seen your Instagram profile definitely knows that you're walking the talk. I think at some point I saw you doing like one finger pull-ups uh, or two finger pull-ups. Um, so, you know, for everyone that hasn't, that doesn't follow Sim, make sure you check him out. But today we're obviously in the sauna show. So that's why we have these beautiful digital sauna backgrounds. And the first introduction we always have is the question is like, do you sauna Sim? Like, yeah, mm. what do you do? Yeah, uh, I do sauna very regularly. I've been taking a sauna like uh, maybe since I've, yeah, like I think my parents told me that I was in the sauna, taking a sauna when I was even like, you know, two years old or something. Uh, so yeah, like all my life, basically uh, for 27 years. And nowadays I take the sauna regularly every, uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, maybe I would suggest or think I would take maybe the sauna four to five times per week. I do the, both the infrared sauna and the regular traditional sauna at home. So uh, yeah, I think I take the infrared sauna for, let's say four times, three to four times a week and the regular traditional sauna one to two times per week. So yeah, I'm really kind of uh, loving it. Right. I think it's such a, such a culture um, in Finland, Tallinn, Estonia. Eh? Like, can you explain a little bit on that? Because I think we have a lot of international people that may not understand the sauna culture and, and the way you guys live it. Because yeah? you said like mm -hmm. you grew, literally grew up with that. Can mm -hmm. you describe that in a bit more detail? Yeah, I think uh, in uh, maybe like Finland and Estonia, or Sweden as well is very like popular, probably because of, you know, there's not a lot of like very super warm days per year. Like a lot of the, you know, year, many months of the year are like this slightly colder or cooler temperatures. Uh, definitely like in the winter, it's one of the main forms of, you know, heat exposure. And uh, even like during the uh, spring and 
autumn you would go to this on a regular basis like maybe a bit less on the summertime but uh, even then like even during the summertime people go to the sauna very often and you know at the lake or whatever and uh, i don't know like people just like it <laughs> or uh, people have gotten you know exposed to it uh, throughout their life and you know at least in the past it was you know during the, like the peasant times and feudal times like it was the main form of like washing yourself or cleaning yourself they would they would just you know work traditionally it was like you know they, they would work on the field for you know six days in a row on the seventh day where it was the rest day basically that they would have to sauna and uh, you know wash for themselves so i don't know again like, yeah, like it's part of like a uh, culture here amazing historical yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Did you have a funniest, weirdest, scariest, uh, or most awesome sauna experience that you want to share? Mm, most awesome. Well, it's always fun to do the sauna with you when you have like ice hole or like a winter cold water somewhere. So it kind of makes it a bit more like enjoyable and adds like a completely different dimension to the experience than just a regular sauna bathing. So um, I don't have like an ice, like a body of water near my house uh, but i do have like a bath pool type of thing uh, that i used for uh, like a cold plunge and i use that but maybe like the one more like memorable experience was also like in the 2020 the biker summit last last summit that we had and there we uh, had like the off-site event it was on like on some sort of island outside of helsinki and there was this also sauna and uh, all the you know guests and other speakers and who were there like we took the sauna for maybe like two hours and there was like also like a body of water. It was in November, so it wasn't like super cold, but it was the water was still like slightly chilly. So it was still pretty uh, nice uh, to you know, go back and forth for like almost like two hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. And maybe to put that in perspective, because we were in Finland together and the water was 12 degrees, which for a lot mm. of people already is quite cold. So I think in November it must have been, mm. I don't know, five, six, seven degrees. Yeah, something like that. I mean, like it, it was... Uh, cold outside as well like uh yeah. when not even when you weren't in the water so uh but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's you know when you come from the sauna and you go to the water then it's uh i don't know first it's like more endurable but it also like i don't know somehow lights up your brain in a different way like you get a much bigger boost of these neurotransmitters and uh endorphins so but it's also can be dangerous so i wouldn't like recommend people to do it like without any supervision or experience but yeah it's definitely very um kind of kind of nice yeah, cool. Awesome. And your favorite sauna routine? I think that may be quite similar to this, but is there, is there like, you know, if you really want to feel great or you've had a workout and you just really want to maximize the benefits of a sauna, like what's your routine? Uh, I do like to do it after the uh, workout. Uh, so on a, on a routine basis, I would like, you know, usually have a workout or exercise around 4 p.m., something like that. And I'll have a sauna around 5 to 6 p.m., and after that, I'll just, you know, eat dinner or something like that. Uh, I think that's my favorite way of going about it. Like oh, some people like to do it in the morning or uh, I don't feel like doing it in the morning immediately. And uh, I definitely don't want to do it too late. So like, yeah, like afternoon-ish before dinner is a good time to do it. And from a workout perspective, then it's good for a recovery. Uh, but even then, like if you're not working out, then you still get like a lot of, let's say, some, some of the benefits like mimic exercise and have like a cardiovascular effect. So any, any day is fine, even if you're not working out. But... After right. a workout, after a workout, it kind of helps or it feels quite nice to kind of help with recovery and yeah, so a lot of amazing benefits in there, I think. So thanks for sharing. But um, today we're not solely talking about saunas. I think we're talking about homesis, which um, I'm really keen on learning more from you as well. And as you know, we always have this uh, fire chat, which is like oh, you know, we call it the people also ask chat it's five minutes i'll set the timer shortly and these are questions that i have not created it's a lot you know it's questions that 
were inspired by people you know that we found online essentially and if you're ready i'll set the timer for five minutes and the idea yeah. is really you know just try to answer as best as you can like some of the questions may not make sense to you some of the questions may require like a really long answer just really try to combat it as best as possible so if you're ready set the timer if that's okay sounds good Great. Okay. So first question is, what is an example of hermesis? Exercise and uh, sauna. So like some small, small amount of stress that uh, actually makes you stronger and uh, improves your health. Right. What is the hermesis theory? That uh, a small, a certain, the hermesis theory is like, there's different models of hermesis, but it essentially means that everything has like a dose specific response, dose specific response towards any toxin or uh, some sort of, uh, you know, like a, you know, threshold you know what you need to reach a certain threshold to see the benefits or there is like a linear thresholds and some of the like is like u-shaped curve in small doses it's not good in high doses it's not good and there's like moderate dose that is good so um yeah but basically it describes like some sort of dose specific response to any like a toxin or stressor right what is the purpose of hormesis uh, well from an evolutionary perspective i think hormesis I mean, it's not like a thing that you can like pinpoint. Uh, there isn't like a process called hormesis inside the body. Uh, there are like many different systems and uh, functions in the body that like reflect hormesis or mediate hormesis, like things like autophagy that re regulates clearance of cells and uh, things like heat proteins that get turned on in response to heat to repair the damage and uh, make your body like more resilient against the heat. So from an evolution perspective, these uh, different uh, antioxidant defense systems and yeah, like uh, adaptations that occur they're supposed to happen so that the body could endure the stressor and adapt to it in the future. So that in the future, when you do get exposed to some sort of like a particular toxin, then you would be like more resilient against it. And so you wouldn't like die immediately. Right. <laughs> or you wouldn't like uh, get heat stroke. Nice answer. Yeah. Well, um, is alcohol a homesis? Well, technically, yes, because, you know, although it's not particularly healthy or the, like the, the amount that is healthy is quite small like you there's not like a huge amount that you can get away with without it interfering your health in a negative way but it is like a hormetic effect in terms of that you're able to handle the alcohol better you know if you're used to drinking like i don't know one uh, beer every day then your body's ability to handle the alcohol or you get less intoxicated you need more alcohol to um, basically get the same effect <laughs> whereas someone who doesn't drink at all then they will get tipsy already with one drink uh, so if you drink the alcohol more often, then you build the tolerance. Uh, so that that is essentially that is hormesis. It's not necessarily like a healthier version of hormesis. That you know, yeah. it's not like a pride thing to be able to handle like a ton of alcohol, <laughs> but because you're still getting like the negative health effects, it's just that you're like you get less tipsy or you notice less of the side effects, but then the side effects are still there. Makes perfect sense. Thank you. Uh, what is the opposite of hormesis? The opposite of hormesis. Well, there are some things that cause stress and that are poisons, but they don't have any positive effect necessarily. So that would be like, like literal poisons or, um, I don't know, spider venom or, <laughs> um, maybe like certain food ingredients as well, like, like margarine, that the stress that you experience, the oxidation and the oxidative stress from the margarine and inflammation that doesn't have like any real, like hormetic effects. Like it just, you know, causes bad effects to your health and, uh, yeah, like vegetable oils and the canola oil, any kind of oxidized, uh, rancid that is, is going to be bad without like re any real health effects love that answer thank you sim who invented homesis uh well there were multiple like scientists back in the early uh 20th century that noticed it one of the like founding fathers of this hormes or like stress science itself it was hans salia uh, like after world war ii he started doing like different kinds of experiments on rats and uh 
he you know saw how like stress like these are uh, strenuous physiological stressors like cold heat starvation and those things uh how they just you know kill the rats much faster but uh, since then there have been like many many other scientists who you know notice that it's ability there's this, this possibility to like if the stressor or the uh, you know physiological kind of talks whatever uh, that uh, is coming in moderation and there's enough time between recovery then it's possible to like survive the stressor so hans Alia initially thought that yeah like you know the, that every, any, every, every stress that you experience in your life is, you know, cumulatively leading towards your death. So even like, you know, you skipping a meal is killing you or you taking a sauna a little bit is killing you all the time and accelerating your aging and death. Uh, but uh, since then, we know that, you know, this, you do experience the stress, but if you recover from it, then you can like adapt to it and actually, you know, still gain the benefits. Great. Five minutes. There we go. That went really fast. And I think there were some really great answers <laughs> in there. Then. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, that, I think, really brings us to the main part, which is really understanding hormesis in greater detail. And I think, you know, you walk the talk, you've written books on this, and I think you really, really nail it on a very detailed level. But for someone, you know, that hasn't read your books or that, you know, hasn't come across this idea of hormesis, how would you explain it to, for instance, a non-biohacker or you know, someone that is really new to the idea of hormesis? Mm -hmm. Well, I would explain that there are some stressors that are good and some stressors that are bad. And if they don't believe me, then I'll just, you know, say that do you think exercise is good for you? <laughs> so, you know, many, or like everyone agrees basically that exercise is good for you in moderation. And that is, a, that is hormesis. So you're putting your body under some sort of stress and that just improves your health and, you know, has these benefits that we uh, know about. And hormesis is, yeah, just an example of that. And you can apply some hormesis, you know, you can apply a hormesis to not only like biological phenomenon, but also like psychological, let's say, phenomenon. Like you can be mentally also like more resilient and more uh, adaptable against psychological stressors. Like you can be you know, having a very like reactive mindset and some sort of that gets very anxious easily, but you can train it. You can overcome that by, you know, first exposing yourself to these kind of things, but also like, you know, having like a good view and perspective on things. Um, so yeah, hormesis is just... Mm, yeah, Positive what does case. like one quote is near what doesn't kill me makes you stronger by uh, Nietzsche, to say that. Nietzsche, yeah. Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Like that's 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 a good uh, illustrative uh, example of, of of that. Great, thank you. I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, and for someone that really understands the concept of hormesis in greater detail, like how would you explain it to let's say a health nut or to you know maybe even a scientist or you know how would you explain it in greater detail perhaps with also some more complexity looking for instance at the metabolism maybe also at aspects of sort of slowing down aging or even reversing aging which i know you're very passionate about mm -hmm. how would you explain that yeah well i would begin with yeah like that this is no specific response to a physiological stressor or toxin that turns on the body's antioxidant and defense systems that improve the body's ability to deal with that stressor and force it to adapt to similar future stressors. So for instance, like, you know, when you're doing the sauna, you get exposed to the heat, uh, you experience your body temperature elevates above what's normal, you start to experience hyperthermia. And as a response, your body releases these heat shock proteins that help to basically count it makes your body more resilient against the heat, protects against the heat as to not cause excessive damage. And uh, to also like start to repair misfolded proteins, uh, stimulate autophagy to kind of clear out certain like debris and dead cell particles. That's the heat exposure. But also like, you know, you do experience an, an elevation of all 
stress factors or uh, stress proteins. There's actually stress granules are what they're called. Many people like, yeah, talk about the, you know, these HIIT proteins and things like that, which is true, but there's also with any kind of physiological stress, you increase these uh, stress granules as well. Like they're very like complex names, like Y-box protein one and LIN 28. And uh, these very like sophisticated stress granules that in excess will cause oxidative stress and can be you know, harmful if you don't clear them out or if you don't eliminate them. So that's where the, the idea of getting the right amount of that stress comes into play. So if any excess, any excess stress is still bad and can be, you know, accelerating aging or cause, you know, just a deterioration of your body, like, you know, too much cold, too much exercise, too much sauna, too much uh, fasting, too much anything uh, is going to be bad. So uh, you want to prevent the, you know, get the, like the dose right. You want to find the optimal dose, like what makes a poison is the dose. And it's a, it's a matter of balancing between exposure to the stress as well as uh, recovery from that and allowing your body to adapt as that actually would should get stronger from that. Makes sense. In terms of the doses, now I think you're, you're super trained, you're super fit, you, you know, you live that life. Like how, I mean, surely it's taken you also a couple of years to really build up that resilience and to really, you know, build up that hormetic stress resilience. Um, can you share a little bit of that journey? It's like, you know, and maybe in general, like, you know, how do I figure out how much hormetic stress or, you know, how much mm. stress is good for me? Because I think that that is, at least for me personally, also one of the challenges nowadays where, you know, lifestyle is the way it is. And we sit a lot, we work a lot of the computer, but then we also want to, you know, lift that stress. We want to make our bodies and our minds more resilient. Um, and I think that's, it's, it's not easy, you know, knowing the lifestyle nowadays for most people. So do you have a little bit of a, a, a couple of tips or a bit of a methodology of how one could test the fields of how to get started on hermetic stress and how to figure out what is right for you? Well, I think uh, obviously you shouldn't like go run a marathon if you've never done any cardio. And I think it's, you know, common sense, but unfortunately, like a lot of people may not have that common sense or they're just maybe too uh, like eager to try things out uh, or they're maybe like a bit like too hard on themselves or too having too high expectations immediately. And then the, that's where they burn out and that's where they um, get too much stress or start to experience the negative side effects. Uh, so I think that, yeah, you should just, you know, start off slowly. I think that's the most uh, best uh, answer to that, that uh, you just first start off slowly and to assess your uh, like level of fitness and assess your level of adaptation. And uh, that involves, you know, so let's take a cold exposure, for example. So instead of going for an ice bath immediately, then obviously you should first try to take a cold shower. You know, what happens? Maybe you just, you know, get super anxious from that. And uh, yeah, like maybe it's not the thing for you. Uh, I don't think that, you know, from like a health and longevity perspective, you don't necessarily need to do like cold exposure. It's not something that, you know, any centenarian actually does. <laughs> or uh, And even like, you know, maybe the sauna exposure is something that you don't necessarily need to do, although it can be beneficial. Uh, some form of exercise is something that I think everyone should do. Because it can help you to like, you know, let's say overcome some shortcomings in terms of your genetics. So if you have like bad longevity genetics, then you can make up for it with a good uh, exercise program or saunas, for example. And it's, it just, you know, can be good uh, for that. So um, start off small, do like a cold shower, maybe see how you react in terms of exercise. You know, start by, you know, walking more, start by walking more, start doing some sort of uh, weightlifting, whatever resistance training. And uh, because resistance training itself is a way of your, it, it has a very good built-in progressive overload system in it. So like you, obviously you won't be able to lift like 300 kilos <laughs> from your first uh, workout. So you always need to start 
from where you're at. So there is no like shortcuts in the uh, resistance training. You always have to start from your like level of fitness and gradually over time increase it because otherwise you're not going to, you know, you're going to injure yourself or you're not going to see any results at all. So you always have to start where you're at and um, over time, just stay consistent with it and uh, follow the progressive overload of over time, getting stronger and stronger. And the same can be applied to the heat and the cold exposure as well. So, or fasting, for example. So you try it out. Your body initially may get like a bit weaker, like, okay, this was actually pretty tough. I don't know if I can handle it. And you, instead of going to the next level immediately, you know, chill out here for a little bit, allow your body to recover, take a rest, and then try it again. Okay, we'll see how your body reacts to the same stress, the same amount of stress, the same duration of stress at uh, this time. See what happens. And then, okay, this was actually better. I'm able to tolerate the heat, for example, better, so I can maybe take it up a notch. But yeah, like even then, like you don't necessarily always need to always keep progressing. <laughs> like you, you could like see, you don't see the same like linear progression in sauna and heat exposure as you do in like resistance training. Like it doesn't make sense to try to go for 120 degrees uh, in the sauna for 20 minutes. Like there's actually people who died in the sauna championships in like 2012, I think, uh, to that. Really? <laughs> so, so yeah, like there, there was like this uh, one Russian guy and one Finnish guy they were, the fi- they, were, <laughs> they were the finalists and uh the russian guy died oh, so wow. uh yeah i mean and the and the finnish guy was in hospital and stuff so uh, yeah like there's no there's no point in like you know always progressing or always trying to take it to the next level like maybe like the biohackers may have this mindset of you know always okay i need to push myself all the time and keep going and keep uh, growing etc you could apply that mindset to like weightlifting and uh, maybe fitness and sports, but in the saunas and colds, I don't see like a point because you already see, because those kinds of stressors aren't the ones that you, you know, do that frequently. Like you're not going to be doing the ice bath every day and, and trying to always like, you know, okay, now I'm at 30 minutes in the ice bath. So yeah. there's no re- real point in that. You always already see like these uh, adaptations uh, take place within like you know, a few minutes and the same with the saunas. Like you don't need to, you start to see the health benefits already within like 70 degrees Celsius, I don't see any point in going beyond, above 100 degrees Celsius. So that's where I usually stay, like 70 to 80 degrees, maybe 90 degrees for like 20, 30 minutes. Because like, you know, what, what happens is also like if you keep pushing it, then you always need to, to see additional benefits. Then you need to keep taking it to the next level all the time. And eventually you're going to get the, like a ceiling that you can't go past. So yeah. it does, whereas if you keep yourself around the same level, then you still you continually keep getting the same benefits from the sauna. Yeah, makes perfect sense. One thing I I'm not really clear on is like you know a sauna obviously causes stress and it sort of you know really helps you stimulate the hermetic stress, but at the same time you know it also helps you with recovery. How does it work? Because everyone obviously says, well, you you know, you work hard and then you also have to recover hard. And, uh, you know, that's what they say. And and I think a lot of people that I know, at least um, in the real world, like they always used to be, you got to work hard, you got to work hard, you got to work hard and, you know, maximize your weights and, you know, three to five repetitions and whatnot. Whereas now I see a lot more in the sense that, you know, hey, you also need rest days, you know, you need recovery. But then how, you know, how does it work if a sauna stimulates the stress and causes the somatic response but also helps you recover like isn't that contrary to mm. you know to the to the to, yeah, to the effects or am i missing something um yeah well um i think the sauna is a little bit different kind of stressor and it like targets other kind of systems so you're not like really you know using your muscles in the sauna you're not like with the exercise like weightlifting you tear you cause muscle tears and uh, you cause uh, mechanical overload to your uh, body, but you don't really do that with uh, the sauna. Like with the sauna, you see an elevation in heart rate and elevation in body temperature, uh, increased blood flow, and those things can actually be beneficial for like you know directing nutrients and blood 
to the injured muscles. So like blood flow and oxygen supply and uh, nutrient supply to the muscles accelerates recovery from exercise. So that's what you want to do. And uh, the sauna helps with that. And the elevation in heart rate and body temperature themselves don't um, interfere with uh, the uh, adaptations to resistance training. And they have like a cardiovascular benefit, actually. So, um, yeah, yeah I, th I think they're just a th slightly different kinds of a stressor. And what, what you also see is an uh, elevation in growth hormone in the sauna, uh, which can have like anti-catabolic effects and uh, help with muscle repair. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the answer. Okay. So I think it's important to advise that, you know, we've got stress, negative and positive, but, uh, you know, a stressor can also help you with recovery. Hey? Like that's essentially what you said. And, yeah. you know, the sauna may be one thing, maybe the ice bath or, you know, cold yeah. exposure would have a similar effect. Am I right? Um, well, technically the cold bath and cold exposure does have like recovery effects. So it reduces inflammation, reduces soreness and those kind of things. Um, but depends on like, what's your goals. And it may not always be the best, let's say solution, because like I said, you want to supply the muscles with blood and nutrients. And the cold doesn't do that. The cold actually decreases that. So there's less supply of nutrients and blood to the muscles. So, and uh, some of, let's say, for example, at least in uh, resistance training where you're building muscle, then some of the inflammation you get from the uh, weightlifting, that is actually also an additional signal for uh, muscle growth and adaptation. There is st study showing that if you do like a lot of like ice cold water exposure and those kind of things, then you actually, or blunt the um, muscle hypertrophy signal. Uh, from the weightlifting, and, and uh, that's you know not not good if you want to build muscle. Uh, from a, like a endurance and cardio side, then that can be good. Like if you're doing a triathlon and you need to recover super fast because you have like another exercise session like immediately or the next day, then you would want to take like an ice bath to speed up the recovery because at that point you don't care about your muscle growth and you don't care about adaptation that much. You want to recover faster. So there's different you know goals. One goal is adaptation, which means that you expose your body to this stressor and you want to take it to the next level. That's adaptation. Recovery is that you're exposed to the stressor, but you want to get back to baseline as fast as possible. You don't care about the next level. You want to get back to baseline as fast as possible. Then in that case, the uh, cold exposure helps you to get back to baseline faster, but it doesn't help you to adapt to the additional stressor because it kind of blocks the signal, uh, some of the signal. So you need more time to adapt, but sometimes you need more. more. Sometimes you just need to recover super fast. So things... If you were like weightlifting and uh, building muscle, then I wouldn't do the cold exposure after the workout. If you're doing cardio or you're like in a competition or something like that, or you want to recover super fast, then you, then you could do the cold. But yeah, like on an off-season basis, like if you're not in a particular deadline, then uh, at home, like on a off-season basis, after weightlifting, I wouldn't do the cold because you would want to get some of the inflammation and uh, the damage to stick around a little bit so that you would uh, adapt to it. Amazing. Does it um, does it make a difference if you do the ice bath before the, the, your workout? So you know, either if you, mm. either endurance training or strength training, like you know, what, mm. what changes if you if you do cold exposure before that? Uh, yeah. Well, um, let's say let's take the extreme example of you know doing an actual cold bath or some actual ice bath scenario. In that case, they do see that your uh, like power output decreases a little bit. So you don't want to be like super cold or freezing before a workout because that yeah. decreases power output. What you do find is that cooling down the body, so like cooling down the body a little bit does improve performance before exercise, if you do it before exercise. So like, yeah, look, because one thing that hinders your performance during exercise is the elevation of body temperature. So your body, like if you reach, let's say, a slight, slight, slight hyperthermia, then your body like, okay, we're too hot, we can't keep exercising. And then you for like, tries to hit the brakes for you and uh, you see a decrease in performance. 
because of the high body temperature. But if you cool down your body beforehand, then you kind of you buffer yourself against it a little bit. You're maintaining this lower body temperature during exercise for a bit longer. And that can be done very easily. You don't need like an ice bath to achieve that. You can just uh, cool down the body a little bit. Um, one method that they use in some of the studies is like cooling down just the palms because there's like certain spots or regions on the body that um, mediate the heat or conduct the heat uh, much more. So there's glabrous skin part, parts. So this forehead, the palms of the uh, hands and the palms of the feet, maybe the groin as well. That is where your body like evaporates most or conducts the heat most. And you can cool them down or heat them up much faster than like, you know, your torso or your legs. So if you cool down, you like use, use like some ice packs on your hands yeah. or your forehead, then you can cool down your entire body much faster. Then you don't, you don't need like an ice bath for that. So you can just cool down it a little bit. Yeah, just hold on to or keep your ice hands in like ice water or uh, use like uh, ice packs on your hands before exercise a little bit, maybe like 30 minutes before exercise to cool down the body a little bit. And that has also actually exercise uh, boosting performance. Amazing. I wonder when we'll see the first people walking to the gym with ice packs <laughs> in their hands. <laughs> yeah, I think that will happen. Hey, um, a lot of the effects that you've just described are really sort of on a physiological level or a metabolic level. And I think you mentioned a little bit, obviously, that your resilience is really going up by, you know, exposing yourself to stress, exercise, heat, cold, um, or, you know, also this mentally challenging situation. But, you know, if we You know, is there anything else that you can sort of really think about when it comes to mental benefits? Because obviously with exercise, there's a whole lot of stuff happening in terms of your hormones being released when you actually really have a workout. You know, does the same logic or other similar effects when you sort of induce a hormetic stress? Um, in terms of like the psychological or... Yeah, in terms of, I think, psychological benefits, psychological effects, you know, such as release of, um, you know, certain hormones, serotonin, mm -hmm. dopamine, for instance, you know, is there any, are you aware of any positive effects through regular uh, homesis or hormetic stress? Well, exercise does have a ton of benefits for the brain as well. And all these similar hormetic activities like the sauna and cold, they have benefits on the brain as well. And they like release endorphins and Uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine and uh, serotonin, adrenaline as well. So, and it does you know, promote neurogenesis and things like that. So, and they have helped to reduce inflammation in the brain. Uh, so, they do have positive effects on the brain as well and mood. So, uh, I mean, like exercise is very good for the mood, I think, personally. And I mean, yeah, like after you come out of the, let's say, ice bath or cold water, then you generally do feel quite euphoric as well. Yeah, it does have like very similar effects on the brain as it does on the on the body in terms of. But ramping up some sort of like neurotrophic factors and uh, in a similar reason i think that you know that you would need muscle growth like your body builds the muscle when you do uh, resistance training has to like deal with it better and uh, some of the neurotransmitters and endorphins are released so that you would like endure it a little bit better like uh, when you release endorphins during exercise then it's like you know that you would keep doing it in essence a little bit uh, for at least a bit longer or kind of blunt some of the pain like maybe right so we literally have every reason to seek out for positive stress, eh? because it's, you know, it's almost mm -hmm. like it makes our body stronger. It helps with longevity, as we know, but it also yeah. stimulates our psychological well-being yeah. and resilience. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, from the psychological side, then, you know, it kind of helps you to you know, become mentally resilient as well. First of all, you're, you're not like going to get super freaked out by any like stressor, like if you're used to some sort of a cold exposure and uh, or so like heat exposure or even like fasting, skipping meals, etc. Then you're like, I mean, like you're mentally a bit more tougher uh, and able to like endure a little bit more. 
of this discomfort, I think, is the best way. Because I wouldn't say that it's good to like push yourself to the extent that you're like literally in pain or uh, yeah. distress or whatever. But slight discomfort is still good uh, yeah. because it just makes you mentally tougher. And I think it's a good personal development tool as well if you're able to like you know push off a little bit of immediate gratification and be able to endure a little bit of discomfort. Because I like, in the modern world we don't have like a lot of things that you know require us to feel uh, that kind of discomfort like we can just you know choose not to ever experience any cold or heat and uh, never have to skip a meal and actually just eat as much as we want we have the options uh, but it you know takes a little bit of more mental mental toughness and discipline to be able to do those things um, and voluntarily and you, you can also like just use the idea that exposing yourself to these stressors voluntarily prepares you to be able to handle these stressors involuntarily better so like in, you know this in a worst case scenario when you don't have access to food or uh, when you are cold and when you are under some lot of physical stress then you're just mentally or you're physically and mentally more prepared uh, to do it so it's almost like you know preparing for the worst um, but also knowing that it actually has a benefit for your health and longevity yeah 100 i certainly feel like that you know i think whenever the sauna gets uncomfortable or the workout gets uncomfortable i think you know really try to take three deep breath and then you know, leave the sauna or eventually stuff to work out if it's too much but uh, i get mm -hmm. high from ice bath i get high from sauna <laughs> because of all the endorphin rush so you know I, I can certainly vouch for that you mentioned um fasting a few times which i think is mm -hmm. a very interesting topic and i think we could probably do a podcast on on fasting alone but i would like to understand a little bit in terms of how fasting or maybe also different diets can have an effect on sort of the hematic stress you know at the moment there's a lot of diets on you know, it feels like half the world is going vegan, uh, a third of the world is going carnivore, you know, you have some people that go keto and paleo, like what's your, you know, what's your take on, on the different forms of diet and, you know, how can fasting, you know, have a positive effect on the hormetic stress as well? Well, fasting uh, does, you know, have a similar effect in uh, turning on a lot of like the body's resi stress resilience and longevity pathways. So um, it also like you know, starts to clean out cell debris from the body through autology, and uh, it increases stress resilience uh, proteins like boxer proteins. It uh, has neuroprotective effects. It uh, helps to pro promote the growth of brain cells. It uh, boosts growth hormone and reduces inflammation. So uh, it has longevity benefits or health benefits in moderation. Obviously, if you do too much, then you can have like low thyroid and um, you, like eating disorders, whatever you can develop from that. So it's not something that I would again like I wouldn't have the mindset of you know pushing 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 uh further and further like the idea with behind so the minimal effective dose is uh, good and uh, you get that minimal effective dose by just you know i think would be best to just not eat all the time like a lot of people do and you know have some sort of a more consistent and uh, more yeah like an eating pattern that is consistent that you stick to and uh, that minimizes the consumption of like just spontaneous energy intake uh, like just random snacks and uh Un, un, unnecessary empty calories that um, you just eat out of habit or out of boredom, whatever. And also like from a, let's say, circadian rhythm side and just not eat at night or immediately before bed. And maybe, I mean, you, you, could, eat, you could eat breakfast, etc. But yeah, just not get this uh, loop into, into this loop where you're just eating all the time throughout the day. Because like the average person may start to eat like immediately after waking up and they stop eating uh, immediately before bed so that's not really like a good healthy way of going about it i think and uh, if anything then fasting will help you to just you know reduce the total calorie consumption per day i think that's part of the reason or one of the biggest reasons why 
individuals, humans, uh, free living humans see improvements in their health is that they just stop eating less calories or they, yeah, they start eating less calories and um, remove these unnecessary empty calories that they just consume throughout the day. But from a psychological side, again, it can also be a good way to, you know, get used to hunger a little bit and not give in to the feeling of discomfort immediately. And uh, may also like learn how to differentiate between like emotional hunger and actual physical hunger. Like, are you actually hungry? Do you need to eat? Or is it just, you know, that you're bored and uh, you're just doing this out of habit and out of like pain avoidance? hundred percent. And I guess, you know, we live in a lifestyle or we're living a life with full abundance at the moment, right? Where mm. everything we have, we can order on Amazon or, you know, I don't know, gorillas or some of these online supermarkets and within 10 minutes, they deliver groceries to you in certain areas of the world. And I think it's quite an art to be so connected to your body to say, am I actually hungry? And if so, well, then I'll eat as opposed to, as you said, like eating out of habit, we're doing emotional eating. So through essentially calorie restrictions, you would then also mimic some of the uh, hormetic stress. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, fasting, I think fasting works even without calorie restriction in terms of the hormesis. Okay. So uh, like during the fastest state, you see, yeah, like an identical physiological response as you would see as with calorie restriction. So you also see increase in autophagy, increase in dysfunctional proteins, uh, NAD and uh, sirtuins uh, and uh, reduction in inflammation, reduction in blood pressure, those things. But theoretically, you can see those effects. You see those effects in the fasted window, not necessarily when you're eating. And whereas with calorie restriction, you see those effects kind of all the time uh, yeah. because you are under like energy stress and energy shortage. Whereas with fasting, you can experience the energy shortage only during a certain period of the day when you are in this fast state. And when you're eating, you can like, theoretically, you could see uh, the similar effects of calorie restriction from the, like the physiological side, like the uh, biomarker side, even without restricting calories. Uh, but obviously it doesn't mean that you can eat like too many calories or like, overeat calories and still get those effects. Probably like, yeah, maybe you can restrict the calories a bit, a bit less um, if you do this time sheet eating, uh, but um, which we need more like evidence uh, for that. Yeah, makes sense. In terms of the different diets that there currently are, I sort of spoke about vegan versus carnivore versus uh, ketogenic versus paleo versus probably just a normal diet. Like, is there anything that we need to be aware of when it comes to positive stress? Um, I know fasting isn't called isn't technically a diet. Fasting is mm. calorie restriction, but. What's your take on, on, on that like in terms of the different diets there are? Yeah, uh, well, from the hormesis side, then there is the phenomenon of the xenohormesis, which uh, describes these different plant compounds and uh, vegetables and uh, other nutrients that uh, can have a hormetic effect. And uh, I mean, like flavonoids and the different kinds of uh, cruciferous vegetables, uh, all these different pigments, etc. they can also have this effect by causing a small amount of stress to the body and then increasing this the body's antioxidant defenses and the different like pathways in the body like AMPK and autophagy that mimic calorie restriction and uh, have benefits on health i think that's that's the best way of going about it or showing it there there is no like hormetic effect in um, other food particles necessarily like there's no hormetic effect in like like canola oil <laughs> and there's no like real hormetic effect in like eggs or fish or meat um, how about gluten? Because I know you're a fan of uh, microdosing gluten. Um. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. That, I th well, that's uh, like uh, I think you you don't necessarily want to like avoid even like some of the some of the potential allergens if you don't have like any real aller allergens. Like I don't have any allergies, and I think it doesn't make sense for me to avoid gluten and nightshade or uh, whatever other particle just because of it's theoretically bad for me, where I don't have any negative symptoms or anything like that. And I think that if I were to avoid it, 
then over time I may just get actually more sensitive against it. You know, it's it's this, you know, if you're not exposed to this, then your body loses its ability to deal with that thing. Yeah. The same with like exercise. If you're not exercising, then eventually you're not going to be fit. <laughs> and if to, to maintain fitness, then you need to expose yourself to some of that exercise. Uh, and the likewise with, you know, the ability to do handle like gluten or lactose or whatever, or eggs, if you're not allergic, like if you have actual autoimmune disorders and allergies, then it doesn't apply to you probably, then you need to like approach it in a different way. But if you're not allergic, then you, in order to maintain the ability to tolerate the gluten and lactose, and other you know compounds means then you should get exposed to it in small amounts all the time um not all the time but let's say like on a on a regular basis you know depends on how often you want to do that or what symptoms you get but if you don't get any symptoms then i don't see a reason why you want to avoid them and what but and what's what we're doing with her, like inca my girlfriend is now that she has had like some sort of dairy intolerance or she gets like some rashes and inflammation from dairy she was in finland so that dairy there wasn't the best quality but now in the estonia she doesn't get that many symptoms from estonian milk and what we're doing right now is like we're actually consuming like small amounts of raw milk uh, to like maybe potentially help to boost her body's ability to, to tolerate the dairy and lactose and so far she doesn't get it like any she's been doing that for like a few weeks or something like that and uh, she hasn't gotten any symptoms from the raw milk uh, from from this local farm um, yeah. and, and hopefully will you know <laughs> actually restore some of her uh dairy um, digestion or dairy ability to tolerate the dairy yeah i think that's a really interesting point because you know dairy isn't just dairy and gluten isn't just gluten right like if you you know if you're obviously having like a really high quality organic sourdough bread mm. i think you know your body will react to that differently if it was just white plain um you know white plain toast bread so to speak and i think the same obviously applies to dairy so i think it's probably quite a quite a bit of experimenting that you can do but um am i right then in assuming that you know, when you, when you know you have some sort of slight allergies, such as Inca, your girlfriend, um, that you sort of really want to pick high quality lactose or gluten and then actually microdose or, you know, or test it on a minimum basis just mm. to see how the body reacts to that. And eventually yeah. over time, as the microbiome gets stronger or your body actually is better at handling that stress, you can actually change the way your body reacts to that. Hey, that's how I understood what you've just been saying. Yeah, yeah, like you microdose it so that you yeah. won't, uh, if you have like some slight gluten issues, then obviously it doesn't make sense to eat like an entire cake immediately. Yeah. Uh, you're going you're gonna to get a bad reaction. So yeah, like you microdose it like you have, I don't know, like one piece of bread or something like that. And like the way I do it is that, you know, I, I consume like some grain products uh, regularly uh, and I'm not like completely grain free. So, yeah. and I'm like, like maybe, maybe I need to change it in the future, but right now it doesn't make sense for me to do that. And, uh, I mean, there is like actual, this is, this is actually like what they do in some medicine as well of kind of, I don't remember what the term is called, but it's like, you know, food reintroduction or something yeah. uh, where after another allergy, you, uh, reintroduce the food gradually over time to yeah. uh, restore the ability to deal with it. I think um, that's also the, typically done when someone suffers from hay fever or allergies. Like it's, mm. I think, an immunization therapy. I think that's yeah. it, where they sort of, you know, inject small proportions of the allergens into the body to train the body actually to get stronger. I think that's the same mm. with everything that you've just been describing. So yeah. it makes sense. Hey, um, I think we're slowly coming towards sort of the end of the podcast. And um, my favorite question is really like, if you if you were to listen to this podcast in 20 years, or you would meet someone on the street who said, hey, I know you guys from the podcast, you spoke about hermetic stress, like, what do you want people to remember? Like, what, what you know, maybe top three things that you really feel people nowadays need to understand about this topic to make sure that they can apply it to their lives, excuse me, on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. 
I think we didn't talk about it directly, but I'll say that I think the first thing to realize is that you can't avoid stress and um, let's say discomfortable and bad things that are going to happen anyway. And the only thing you can do is just prepare for them. So I think that's why the reason why I'm so like also, you know, interested in this hormesis and stress adaptation is because of, you know, you can't avoid these stressful things. Um, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And uh, even if they don't happen, then you're just going to be the end result is still better. Like you're still going to be healthier and uh, stronger <laughs> and you're more always going to be prepared to handle any kind of stress. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, realize also that uh, your ability to deal with the stress isn't like, you know, predetermined by birth or something. Uh, it's something that you can build and train, like you can train your fitness and you can train your psychology and your mindset to become more resilient and uh, handle stress uh, better. And lastly, I would say that any yeah, like the dose is in the poison or the, uh, the poison is in the dose. So like, you know, you have to adjust the amount of the stressor, whichever it is, exercise, uh, some food or uh, sauna, fasting, whatever, you have to adjust it based on your like subjective uh, circumstances and your level of adaptation. Great. Thanks, Sim. I think that was really valuable. Second question, which I also really enjoy is like, what, what are your say top three or top five things for positive stress on a budget? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, fasting is a good one. <laughs> so then, right. you're, you're <laughs> literally not pay, not paying anything; it's free, yeah. and you get a lot of health benefits from that. You lose weight, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be good. Uh, obviously, not to the extreme. And second is maybe exercise. Like running is free as well. So um, yes, or push-ups, yeah. or you know, yeah, you can, yeah. yeah. Okay, one one other one. Um, well, maybe cold showers can also be free or like more cheaper than warm showers. Uh, but I will say like some sort of breath holds can be good. So like this hypoxia can also have some uh, benefits uh, and it definitely will improve your like CO2 tolerance and ability to like handle different uh, environments better. Can you explain hypoxia real quick? Hypoxia is like a state of low oxygen. And uh, well, what, what hypoxia does is, you know, when, when uh, these uh, skiers, for example, go to train in altitudes, uh, then they basically perform better at lower altitudes, at least in the short term. So uh, that's why they go there, these skiing trips before competitions to train and build this ability to handle low oxygen. And uh, it also has a autophagy boosting effects, this uh, HIF, hypoxia inducible factor one uh, helps with autophagy. But with uh, this hypoxia is that you know, chronic hypoxia is bad. It can be actually malignant or you know, promote malignancies and uh, harmful for longevity. And you know, chronic hypoxia, can come from like low thyroid or uh, low hemoglobin levels or some sort of like pathological condition. Obviously, you're not going to be chronic hypoxia by <laughs> holding your breath all the time. But uh, infrequent uh, hypoxia, like breath holds and uh, swimming or uh, exercise, that has these benefits. Great. Thank you so much. And now the last question is really essentially hormetic stress of money is not an objective. Like, you know, if you could just spend the amount uh. of money of someone you know, doesn't care about money. They just want like the best three things in order to practice and induce positive or hermetic stress. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, hyperbaric oxygen therapy can be one second one, uh, like infrared sauna I and mean, the infrared saunas aren't that super expensive, but still more expensive than, uh, than fasting. <laughs> and uh, the lastly, maybe, I mean, cryotherapy can be also uh, nice. Uh, although like, a cold shower does the trick as well. But uh, if you like, you're in a city and uh, you want to just do like some cryotherapy every day, for example, then it, it would be like you know, I think it's like 50 euros or something per session. Yeah. Uh, uh, but 
yeah, those are the three ones. Great, awesome. Any last comments or anything you think we haven't talked about that we should mention? Uh, no, I think uh, we covered everything. It was nice. Great. Then uh, a big, big thanks to you, Sim. Thanks for taking time. Thanks for uh, enlightening us on on everything, positive stress, hermetic effects. Uh, and I think I've learned a lot. I hope everyone else has learned a lot too. Um, for those that want to find Sim, Sim, how do we, how do we find you? Uh, my website is seamland.com and I'm seamland on all the uh, social media platforms. Great. We'll post this video on YouTube and Instagram, so we'll definitely um, tag you in there as well. You know, make sure you drop us a few questions. Um, I think sure, I'm sure Sim would probably take some time to answer those um, if we communicate that well. Um, again, thank, thank you so much, Sim. Um, it's been a real pleasure, and I look forward to doing another episode at some point. We hope you got a lot out of today's inspiring conversation. Please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Whether they are a seasoned health expert or just beginning their wellness journey, these stories of remarkable transformation, success and valuable insights will certainly help empower more people. Until next time, have the best life ever.